Too good. All right, well, we are just about to invite some um, very special people up here to, to share uh, their testimony and their story of the goodness of God. Um, and I just want to read uh, a couple of verses here from Psalm 9 out to you. Uh, verse 1 says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. You know, there's something that's locked in here in regards to the importance of giving thanks to God for what He's done, to bring to mind the goodness of God in our lives. I will be glad and rejoice in you. In Romans 12, 15, it says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's interesting, rejoice just means to rejoy. Find your joy. Find your joy. You know, today we've got other people coming up, and it's not you coming up to share necessarily, but I want to encourage you to find your joy with those who are sharing, to be encouraged by this word. Let the, let the, um, the testimony of Jesus become the spirit of prophecy in your life. If you're here today and you're like, well, that's nice for them, but I'm here. I want you to partner with their joy, partner with their breakthrough, and believe that God would actually bring a shift of His goodness around your life as well. We're about perspective here, and we want to grab the perspective of heaven this morning, don't we? Not the perspective of what is just going on around with our, you know, with, what, with our lives and the, and the struggle that we're facing, but we're like, God, what are you doing? What are you speaking over me today? So just as they share today, just open your spirit to receive. Open your spirit to receive from him this morning. So first of all, I just want to welcome up Tracy, George, and Tomoka. And so Tracy's going to be sharing, and she's got an incredible story here. Thank you, Tracy and Tomoka. So... Um I would like to introduce you to, we've, this year Rowan and I have had six daughters in our house, it's been a busy household, we farewell one in the very small hours this morning, so she's gone home back next year, but Tomoka has been with us uh, since the beginning of the year, and um, she has felt rather nervous about coming up here, so with her permission I'm going to share a bit of her story with you. can't see anybody up here, it's very bright. <laughs> Probably quite a good thing, isn't it? So I've written, I, I did a bit of an interview with Tomoka to get some information, and so I'm going to just read what, we, what we've put together um, so I don't get anything wrong, if that's okay. So, Tomoka joined our family at the end of January this year as a 16-year-old international exchange student from Japan. She has been attending Rangiora New Life School with our eldest daughter, Caitlin. Um, she shared with me her upbringing and life to this point, and I then asked her a few questions, which I'll share the answers with you today. So we had a bit of an interview, like I said. Tomoka is from a city in the central Japan called Gifu. She says it's a small city, it's actually really huge. Small by Japanese standards, maybe, but huge by New Zealand standards. I think the whole of New Zealand could fit into her city. She lives there with her father, her mother, and her younger brother. Kanta is his name. He's 14, isn't he? 15. Um, she's very close to her maternal grandparents and her maternal uncle as well. 
As a family, they celebrate the Japanese public holidays of Mother's and Father's Day. They also have a Boys' and a Girls' Day. And they celebrate a cultural day which includes the Emperor's birthday and that, like our King's birthday. Um, they have one more public holiday which is a Workers' Appreciation Day. So they appreciate all the workers that work there. And at the beginning of August, the Japanese have a day that they remember their ancestors and they believe they visit them from the afterlife and they pray to them. So quite different to New Zealand. Um, when Tomoka was a child, her family celebrated Christmas in a small way with a Christmas tree and a bit of Christmas cake. And Tomoka and Kanta would receive gifts if they were good from Santa. Um, that stopped when they grew up. <laughs> Don't get it anymore. Um, when I asked Tomoka what Japanese think of Christianity, she said that Japan as a nation is predominantly Buddhist. Perception of Christianity is that Christians are not good people. And that's come about through a series of terrorist attacks that happened in 1995. There were coordinated attacks by a cult group, and it's been affiliated with Christians. And so people have this perception that Christians are not good people, held in very low regard. Um, and as a family, Tomoka and her family don't know any Christians at all in Japan. Had a normal childhood, attending primary school and then junior high school. And then, um, yeah, and then when she was in junior high school at the age of 13, her life changed quite dramatically. She was playing softball one afternoon when her legs started to not work and um, she was struggling to walk and her hands weren't able to hold the ball. And so she managed to get herself home and within 24 hours she was in hospital unable to walk or use her hands. She was diagnosed with Guillain-Barr syndrome, which is potentially a fatal disease. I asked Tomoka what she was feeling when all this was happening and she said she was very scared. I said, did you think you were going to die? And she said, yes, I did. And I said, what would happen to you if you died? And she said she thought she would just die and go to the afterlife with her ancestors. Um, and she didn't want to die because she had lots she wanted to do in her life. Yeah. She spent 10 months in hospital, did school from hospital, uh, and her mum stayed with her for the first couple of months, but then, of course, uh, because it was so far from home, it became quite hard. So she came on weekends, and her uncle, who lived in the city, visited her on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So they've got a very, very special relationship. It was pretty lonely, though. And after six months, her legs began to work again, and she went through extensive rehabilitation, and after 10 months, went home walking. But the disease takes years to recover from, and she's still in that recovery stage. She then went on to high school, where she is now, and she studied um, English most of her school years, and she's now here in New Zealand as part of her English studies. And that leads her to how she came to us. Um, as part of our family, Tamoka has become part of the Thrive family. And she's been coming to church pretty much every Sunday with us, and also to youth on Friday nights. Went to Easter camp, and on her 17th birthday, on the 12th of June this year, she asked Jesus to be her saviour. Um, it's pretty special for Owen and I, it was really, um, it's been a pretty amazing event in our household, we really were celebrating and it's pretty cool, she's got a double birthday now, so it was very special for us and um, yeah. Tomoka told me last night when I was talking with her yesterday afternoon, she said, I love Jesus, so she said, I love Jesus and she said, I know that he loves me. Um, when I asked her why she chose to become a Christian, she said that she realised that Jesus loved her and that although she's inherently a good person, and she's pretty amazing, she's still a sinner and she needs Jesus. 
She said that coming to New Zealand, she naturally felt quite lonely at times, but when she chose to invite the Lord into her life, she doesn't feel lonely anymore because she knows he's always with her. The next natural step in, for a new Christian is to get baptised, obviously. And then a few weeks ago, I asked her if she wanted to get baptised, and she said, yes, but not in front of the church. <laughs> However, I think the Lord had other plans with the timing of baptisms today, um, and we both thought that maybe he wanted her to get baptised in front of the church, even if she didn't. So we agreed to that, didn't we? <laughs> she said being baptised is a way to show others that through, that through the outside act of being baptised, there's been a change inside of her. Um, she's invited a few of her lovely friends here today. It's really lovely to see them here. And um, so we really want to welcome you here. And um, this is the first of her witnessing as a Christian, you know, showing what she's done and uh, talking about her faith. Tomoka goes home next Saturday. Um, and so today's her last Sunday with all of us here at Thrive. Um, and I think it's really special she's been baptised on her last day here. So what's next for her when she goes home to Japan? She has one more year of high school, and then she's planning on heading to university for four years, um, ho hoping to visit us in a couple of years' time, yeah? Um, and she's going to study history, English, and religious studies, and she wants to marry a Kiwi boy and live here. <laughs> she didn't say that. But she'd like to live here. I won't tell Okay. <laughs> I can really embarrass you, but I won't. Um, I've asked Tomoka what we as her Thrive family can be praying for or for about for her, and she said that she'd love for us to pray that she has courage to share with her family and friends about Jesus and her decision to become a Christian. And that they would have really open hearts to hearing what she wants to share. Um, she also really wants to find a great church that's close to where she lives and that, our other, that where other youth uh, that she can connect with. Here in Rangiora, there's probably about 10 churches within a five-block radius that we can go to, Christian churches. Um, it's quite different in Japan, and we've Googled, and we've only found a couple that are not even, you know, we think they look like they're Christian churches, but it's very, very few and far between. So would be really great if you could be praying for that for her. And she'd find a really great Christian community where she can knit in, learn, and grow more in her faith. And also that we could finally please pray that her body fully recovers from the Guillain-Barre syndrome. She's not fully recovered yet and would love to experience that full healing. Yeah. So um, that's Tomoka and her story. Yeah. That's so good. Hey, how about just before you guys leave, can we, just, we are going to pray for you actually at the end as well. But let's just pray for a full recovery right now for that um, disease. Yeah, Jesus... We just, we thank you that your word says that you forgive our sins and you heal all of our diseases. So right now, we just, we receive that. I just, over Tamoka, she receives that, receive that promise, Tamoka, that he has healed all your diseases. And we bless you with healing and well-being in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> through Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. You did awesome. Um, Sasha Duke. Uh, no, that's wrong. Well, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Mrs. Colton, please come to the front. <laughs> Good 
morning, everybody. Um, I am single this morning, I guess, because uh, <laughs> Mike, we've had COVID in our house this week, so um, Mike is still recovering quite badly at home. So um, he sends his love and he wishes he was here to share our, our 2023 with you guys. Um, so we don't do things by halves in our household. This year we decided to get engaged in March, uh, get married and buy a house all at the same time, um, which is quite a feat. Um, I only work part-time, uh, Mike works full-time, and it is, I'm just putting my phone on Do Not Disturb, um, it has been a journey this year, so it all started for us at Storm, no, ooh, New Life Youth Camp in January, um, and we got a prophetic word, which we've already, we had already been hoping for something similar, um, and we got this prophetic word from one of the speakers there about um, us having a house on fire for just people to come in and um, be on fire for God and our, our house to be a house of refuge um, and a safe place for others. And we were already like declaring that and hoping for that ourselves. So to have that um, just really kind of confirmed with a prophetic word at the start of the year was really special for us. Um, so we got engaged in March, like I said, and we kind of had no choice from that moment onwards to go on this journey of learning to surrender to everything God has for us um, and to surrender even when it doesn't make sense and give it all to him. Um, like I said, I work part-time, so paying for a wedding was kind of looking really scary um, and we only had kind of five, six months to do that. Um, and so that was quite scary because Mike's just changed jobs as well, so we were in a really new um, financial situation. And then I decided, well, I didn't decide. I went on sabbatical and then the Lord told me to quit my youth pastoring job. So that made it even harder. Um, so finances were looking very grim um, and buying a house was looking even worse. And so we decided to go and see a mortgage broker um, because they're supposed to be able to help you with things. Um, but the first mortgage broker we went to kind of was quite bleak about it and basically said you've got no chance, no um, no main bank will give you any money and if they do um, you'll be you'll be able to get like a $200,000, $300,000 mortgage which if you know the housing market right now isn't a thing, uh, there's no such thing as a $200,000 house. Um, so we were pretty pretty sad. He's like, I can get you a mortgage with somebody else but it'll be at at least at 11% interest rate. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is pretty full on. And we were like, that's just not livable. That's not an opportunity for us. Um, and I was encouraged at the time. I remember hearing the story um, from Hope and Luke last year about their provision of their house. Hope's leaving. <laughs> um, and so we just claimed to that. And we were just so, we knew that God had um, prophesied that our house was going to be a house on fire for God. And so we were like, we know that God's going to provide the right house for us. So we went and got a second opinion after pushing from a couple of people on the staff team here. Um, and the lovely lady said, what are you talking about? Of course we can get you a mortgage. And we just were like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Um, and so after talking with her, we were like, okay, this is feeling a little bit better. And then at the time, Mike was in conversations with um, his family to get some of his, um, he had bought a house, I guess, essentially with his family. So we were trying to sell that, but with all the bright line taxes and stuff, it was not looking too good. Um, but we kept pushing and just believing that God, um, God is just the ruler of all and he has power over that situation. So we just kept surrendering that to him. Um, and 
all of a sudden it all worked out and everything lined up and we were able to get enough money that would clear our debts, um, pay for our wedding and pay for a really comfortable deposit on a house. And we were so grateful to God for that. And then it got bleak again. Uh, we went looking for a house and we found a house and it was all it all lined up it made sense it was in walking distance of school so I could have students come and see me at school um, it had lots of space to have a family it had lots of space to have people come and live with us it was a two-minute walk from my parents house and it just seemed perfect so we put an offer in we were accepted and that's where all the due diligence starts um, and that's where it got even more bleak uh, the house it took a really long time for us to get all the kind of things back, like the toxicology report and all of that, the builder's report. And the toxicology report came back the day before we were about to transfer over $50,000 to these people. And the toxicology report came back at four times the safe limit of meth, um, which is crazy. So we essentially were about to buy a meth house. Um, <laughs> And we almost didn't get the toxicology report, but leading up to it, when we were in conversations, we thought we just really felt a prompting to do so. And we just, we now know looking back that that was the Holy Spirit um, because we are so grateful now that we did not buy that house. And so we ran really fast from that house, um, really, really fast. But, but there was a moment of, are you sure we should? Well, there's not a lot out, else out there. But we were like, no, this is not, this is silly otherwise. Um, so. That day, I was just defeated. Mike was so just, he's so very positive. So he's like, it's all right, God's got us. And I'm like, does he? We almost bought a meth house. Um, and I was really struggling. Um, and then Mike's boss, John, texted him that afternoon saying, have you tried this house? And so that afternoon, we went and, vis we went and looked at a house um, on West Spout. And we were like, this is kind of great. So that night... We called the lawyer. Uh, the, we called the real estate agent. We're like, we'd like to put an offer in. So we put an offer in on the Thursday, uh, and the Friday, um, our offer was accepted, and we were like, oh my gosh! And this um, house is incredible. It is so much more than we expected. So much more than we were. We we think about it now. We were settling with the, the meth house, as we call it. <laughs> we were settling for easy and seems perfect. Um, but God has so much more for us, and we are so grateful. Um, what's even better is that we everything just went really fast. And at this point, we were four weeks out from our wedding, and we were like, oh, my gosh, we've got to go to do all the lawyer stuff and buy a house and all of that stuff, and then also plan a wedding. Um, and so we were in and out of the lawyers, and then I was doing dress fittings and, and wedding things. Um, and it all happened really fast, but every step seemed to happen abnormally. The lawyer was like, no, that's not going to happen. The money from KiwiSaver is not going to come through that fast. And it came through so fast. And God just kept providing those and opening those doors because we, Mike, <laughs> surrendered all to him. Um, I'll admit it. I was like, mm. I was waiting for that moment of not. And that there might be meth in the house or something to go wrong, but it didn't. And it just pushed me even to like, even more to just be like, wow, like we have an incredible God. When we surrender all to him, he, he is just so quick to provide for us. Um, and then even better, the banks came back and honoured the lower interest rates um, that had just changed and had skyrocketed again. So we got something that was under seven um, and they had all jumped up to seven plus at that point and 
that's amazing when we were told we would get a minimum of 11% um, to then having 5% less than that is just amazing. Um, and yeah, we just have a great God and we're so, so chuffed. And we're just so claiming now that um, our God, uh, our God, our house will be a house on fire and that when people come in and leave from our house, people are going to be changed. And we're just so um, hoping for that and we just love if you guys continue to pray for that as well. Um, because already we've just noticed that our house is just a place that people love together and we love having people in our home. Um, and so it's just been really special already. We've only been in a month, um, but just to have people come and we already are feeling it in our spirit that our house is and we're just continuing to claim that prophetic word over our, um, our family and our household. So, yeah. Thank you, Sasha. We're so pleased you didn't end up with a meth house. But yeah, I think that we can all kind of like take that word of having house on fire. Like let's all have homes that are on fire for the Lord. Um, Daniel, what's that? Sorry, hun. Okay, that's good. All right. Anyone needing provision? If you need provision for a house... Um, or in any facet, actually. Let's just right now, we'll just claim that. Jesus, I just thank you for everyone in this room who is in need of provision, that you provide all of our needs according to your riches in glory. You say not to worry about tomorrow, but to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, and all these things will be added. So we thank you for what you're adding right now in the sense of provision. Where there is lack, we just speak provision and breakthrough over everyone here today, over every member of our church family. We thank you for your provision and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Daniel Wildly, where are you? Let's give uh, Daniel a hand as he comes to share. Thank you, Daniel. Oh. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> um, cool. So I was just going to share my salvation testimony. My salvation testimony? Um, yeah, so I haven't actually shared this really with anyone other than a few close people, so... I'm very nervous and I'm shaking, so bear with, because I might just look at my phone the whole time. Um, so if you don't already know me, I'm Daniel. I'm on staff here, and I have been for the last six months, which is sort of a testimony in itself, but this is not that one. Um, and so, yeah, when I was younger, I was raised in a Christian home, and unfortunately, my mum, yeah, she got in a few with my dad. She split up with my dad and got in a few um, abusive relationships and yeah, things weren't too sharp. So when I was 12, I left home um, and had a few feelings of like, oh, I'm doing this all on my own um, and didn't feel like I had much of a support network. Um, and yeah, so I felt like I was doing life on my own and yeah. At the end of primary and high school, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, so I was fluctuating in and out of different like friendships and started hanging out with the wrong people, the wrong crowd, um, and just doing a bit of dumb stuff. And it sort of led me to like a lot of depression and anxiety, and yeah, just kind of led me down a difficult route. Um, my family, to give some context, my, on my father's side, my granddad um, took his own life, and then my cousin took his own life, and my dad suffers with depression. And so 
it's kind of been a generational thing of that our mental health has not been good. Um, and so I was kind of falling into that sort of stereotype of, um, yeah, just not having good mental health. And then on my mum's side, my granddad's like a pastor and a missionary and stuff, so I'm like kind of wanting to lean more that way. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so in high school, at about 15, I ended up deteriorating significantly. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd of people, and they just realized that they had no interest of, yeah, being my friend. They just wanted me to, I don't know, do stupid stuff with them, but they didn't actually care about me. Um, and I got to a point where I was like, I just want a hug from someone. I just want someone to tell me that I'm okay. And I didn't get that. And so one night I was like, okay, I'm going to take my own life. And so I went, walked down like the road with a rope and just kind of got up this tree. And I was like, I prayed to God. I was like, I, I'd kind of been in church as a kid, um, but didn't have a relationship with God. Um, and yeah, kind of just had seen it, been going to youth a few times with Sasha and sort of knew who God was but didn't have a relationship with him. And so I screamed out to him. I was like, oh, God, if you're real, tell me, like, like get me out of this, pull me out of this. Like, if you want me here, then do something about it. Otherwise, I'm just going to do this. And so you know, I was up this tree, and I fell, slipped and fell somehow, like eight meters into this, like, rocky creek, and then kind of just passed out and was there for, like, I don't know, a few hours. And then someone found me. And then found me, um, they, yeah, so this ambulance, called an ambulance. Little did I know that there was like over like 50 to 100 people looking for me that night. And I thought that no one cared about me. But I had like, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I, I got pulled out of this creek by these firefighters and a stretcher. And like, just saw like all of my friends and family just like there out at 4 in the morning looking for me because they cared about me. Um, Yeah, I got to that point. So when I was in hospital, um, the doctors did a bunch of scans on me, poked and prodded in places that I don't want to be poked and prodded again. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and after a wee bit, they kind of, the doctor came in like a, a day later and sort of came in and he's like, um, so this is sort of what's happened. You've got a mild case of hypothermia just from sitting in a creek all night. Um, and yeah, just being cold. But for someone that's fallen eight meters out of a tree, all that you've got is a couple bruises on your back. And he was like, from stuff that he's seen in the past and stuff that like you would have broken your back and you would be paralyzed if you'd survived, sort of thing. Um, and so I was like, instantly I knew, I was like, ah, oh, my prayers have been answered. That's pretty cool. And, like, everyone was real worried about me. They're like, oh, he's just going to, like, as soon as he gets out of here, he's just going to try again. Um, but then I was like, oh, no, because, like, that was pretty clear. But, yeah, even just, like, being in hospital, having the most random people come in and, like, speak life over me. And even to the point where my hospital bed, oh, I was going to get a photo, but I didn't get in time. But my hospital bed had, like, a view to the art gallery, where on the art gallery it has, like, the big neon signs where it says everything's going to be all right. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, after a few days of being in hospital, I felt like a real urgency to go to Easter camp, which is like a, a week later. And Sasha was very heavily involved in that side of things. And so everyone was really, like, worried that, um, yeah, for my well-being and safety of going to Easter camp. 
and I don't think Sasha wanted to be responsible for that. So no one really answered me, and they didn't really give a clear answer on whether I could go or not, because I think it was a battle of, he probably should be here, but it's probably not safe for him to be here. Um, yeah, oh, and I was in a wheelchair, so it wasn't really like helpful. Um, but I kind of like forced my way there. I was like to everyone, like, no, I'm going. Like, you're taking me. Otherwise, I'm just going to wheel myself to Spencerville, <laughs> which I did. I walked down the driveway, a gravel driveway, like with crutches and a wheelchair. I'm like, I'm going. Like, you're not, <laughs> you're not stopping me. Um, and so I went, and like every session was just like super impactful. Um, and on the Saturday, I had a, there was a session where I think Esther preached or something, and she, like, it was one of those sermons where you just feel like they're speaking directly to you. Um, and to the point where she had an altar call where she said something super specific, like a super specific situation that had happened about, um, yeah, that I could just completely relate to. And I, I kind of, like, gave an inkling to Sasha or something that, I, that that was me, that she was talking to me. And then she said, if that's you, like, come talk to me afterwards. And then I just wheeled off. I was like, no, I'm not going to talk to you. And then Sasha's like, no, you're coming. <laughs> and so we went. And, um, yeah, she just spoke life into me and kind of prophesied over me and spoke to me. Like, she's like, have you, like, tried to commit or take your own life in the last, like, week? And I was like, oh, yep. And she, like, just kind of explained my whole situation to me as if, like, I didn't know. Um, but yeah, and so I wheeled off and we went to the Toasty Shack and then this guy comes up to me, like literally, we went straight from there to get some food and this guy comes up to me and says like pretty much word for word what she had just said to me and I was like, oh, okay, that's a bit strange. Um, and yeah, so that night I went to the evening session and um, yeah, just met with God and had like a bunch of people speaking life into me, speaking prophecy into me. Um, and then, yeah, I gave my heart to God and got filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then from there, I kind of just went back to living life, um, but had, like, a bunch of new friends that I'd made at Easter camp that just, like, changed my crowd completely. Um, it, I wrote notes for what it actually did. Not that I don't already know, but um, yeah, since then, like, I have been like in moments of depression, but knowing that my testimony is a testament of what God's done and that he's got me, and sort of having the revelation that he gave me a revelation one day that my name's Daniel, and that even when I'm in the lion's den, like, he's there, and he's been there the whole time, and he sort of, like, looked at my whole life and was like, I was with you this whole time, and I'm with you this whole time, and so, yeah, since then... It's just been easy to forgive people as well, like the burden of not forgiving my parents and forgiving, not forgiving people for things that they've said to me and stuff. Um, yeah, I was able to do that through not my own strength, but his. But yeah, that's me. Yeah. That's powerful just powerful and we just we pray for that that the good work that's begun in you that he will complete as well and we also just agree 
for the well-being of anyone struggling with their mental health that Jesus we just thank you for breakthrough and grace for anyone in this room and in our lives God we just thank you right now for healing and wellness um, spiritually uh, physically and emotionally in Jesus name all right we've got a another couple of testimonies the, these next ones are actually going to be video testimonies so Let's just check out the big screen. I'll introduce this guy. His name's Hayden. He's actually from Living Waters Church in the city, and it's an amazing testimony of his healing. So check this out. Sorry, we're in a very bad reception area. Oh, that's okay, just to confirm, sorry, he's bucked off the ball. Yes. Okay, are you with him now? Yes. Is he awake? Is he awake? No. Just out chasing the elusive fish around. Something I've actually done a few of it since my accident. Um, really got into my fishing and just being out enjoying, enjoying God's creation and just being thankful for for where He's brought me from. Really. Oh, she's a bit chilly this morning. Far out. Oh, heck. Stone the crows and kick the neighbour's cat. Sort the old cooker out. Boil some hot water to make a brew. That's going to be the go. How we looking there? How's that going to spin your prop? <sighs> Grew up in Christchurch. Well, family's originally from down south in New Zealand. Mum and dad, they've always had a very strong faith. Basically put that through us kids when we're in high school and then your mum always prayed for us kids, even with our safety, with whatever we've been doing in life. Hayden has always been a very vivacious, fun person. He's been totally fearless and would talk to anybody, go anywhere, do anything. Just always had a lot of vibrancy of life. I had to go to church as kids, and then once I was hit sort of puberty in high school and sort of, I thought, gee, this Christianity business isn't for me. Uh, I was never a bad person, but um, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, there's no way you would have got me in a church. I was more sort of living for the weekends, just probably like 80 to 90% of young fellas. Finished the work and week, looked forward to a Friday night or a Saturday night at the pub, a few beers, having a good time with the guys, heading away hunting for the weekends, doing whatever, just chasing fun, I suppose. You know, I've always been a bit of an adrenaline sort of chasing sort of a bloke. I sort of heard about this bull riding, and I guess it really excited me, the fact that you know, you come out of the chutes and that, and that ball might give you his best buck, sort of second, a second or third buck into it. He might give, throw you a curveball and you'd respond with your best spur to the ribs. That really excited me. And I thought, heck yeah, I want to give this thing a bit of a nudge. It sounds pretty exciting. It's a bit of a mixed emotion thing being back in, in the arena, really. I mean, I can't, like, I mean, I can't remember anything that night of the accident. 
um, let alone like riding in New Zealand. I remember riding when I was in Australia um, and bucking a few balls out over there. But um, yeah, it's sort of like I do miss it. I miss it a lot. Went over to Australia, I was contract mustering cattle for a couple of years and in amongst that we'd go to radios for fun and we were sort of encouraged to get on some sort of rough stock. Um, and yes, yeah, so I got into bull riding over there, just got on a couple of bulls over there and just loved the adrenaline rush. When I got back here I thought I'd try and give it a serious crack. Went to a practice night after a day of work. I rode my first bull really well and it was actually the last ride of the night and they sort of said, oh, you know, last ball came up the chutes if he wants to jump on it. Um, and me being keen as mustard, I thought, yeah, heck yeah, it's got me all over it. And yeah, famous last words, ball came out of the chutes, got winded, lost control of my body. Uh, and then as he kicked up, I was going forward. Uh, and then as he, he was coming back up again for another rear, we collided skulls and I was, I was knocked out before I hit the ground. Everybody piled from out of the arena into the arena formed a human circle around me because I wasn't moving and called the ambulance and they you know I then get a chopper in to pick me up. They radioed through to call the call the immediate family and call the coroner because I didn't think I was gonna make it. Is he breathing? Yes. Okay, thank you. Is there any serious bleeding? Yes. Okay, I'm organizing help for you now. Stay on the line and I'll tell you exactly what to do next. got a call about 10 past 10 to say that he had been airlifted into hospital. We didn't know anything about what had been happening. I just knew when we got there to the trauma room that they'd taken him straight for X-ray. When I got to hospital, first of all, they gave me a CAT scan, realised I had uh, a brain bleed and fragments of my skull and lodged in my brain. And friends of ours actually know someone that was in the scanning room that night of the accident. As soon as they read my scan, they said there is, there's no way, it's not humanly possible for this boy to walk out of here alive. Pete and I looked at each other in the waiting room and we looked at each other and we said, we're ready to handle this. We're, we knew our faith was strong. We knew we were in a position in our life that we could separate ourselves from our work and we could do what needed to be done. They sent out the pre-request to people all around the globe and people were praying for this kid that didn't want to know a god. Wasn't really in that market, just wanted to ride balls and have fun. Oh, it's about there, it's about there. Oh, oh. Very quickly overnight our house filled up. We had a lot of Hayden's friends came and stayed. A couple of girls took over the cooking and I just said, look, I cannot host anybody. You're most welcome to stay, but I'm at the hospital. And I remember speaking to head doctor in ICU on the Friday morning, three days before Hayden came out of his coma. And they just said, look, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have to, we have to um, give them a tracking up to me. We're looking at long-term ICU. I'm so sorry, but we can't do any more. And I said, I know, but I'm not listening to that. I said, I'm praying for you. And I know by standing by in faith, Monday morning, he came out of his coma and he was sitting up in a chair that afternoon and, um, and he was walking. This way, Ari. This way. That's it. <laughs> One of the nurses was quite surprised. She said, usually people take two or three steps when they're first learning to walk again. Very rare you'll see someone walk all the way down to the end of the corridor. Good one, Hayden. Looking up, love. 
from my accident, I was in a coma for about 12 days. It was brain surgery was for about five hours, five and a half hours. And then I was only in hospital ward 28 for two days and they were short on beds. I went to Laura Ferguson, uh, in which case I was there for like nine months before I was allowed to go home. The first two months, there wasn't a day that went by that I did not want to be here. Like I would, would not have trusted myself to go hunting by myself. I was in a very dark place. The rug of life had just been ripped out from underneath me. I'd gone from potentially staring down the barrel of a professional bull riding career, and now I'm living back at home with my parents. I can't even cook a meal by myself. I'm thinking life couldn't get any worse. And I remember one night, it was dark, nobody was around, and I cried out to Jesus. I thought, I don't know anybody here. I don't know where I am, what's going on. Um, please help me, God, if you're real, please help me. Uh, and I remember looking back up and I saw this bloke at the end of my bed holding my feet. He had very dark facial features and hair to about his shoulders and he was wearing a fluorescent white cloak. Uh, and all he said was, I've got you, Hayden, you're not going anywhere. And from there, my life has changed dramatically. We couldn't see our way forward at that stage. No. We just need to take it one day at a time. Mm. Not overthinking it and um, just relying on God to show us the next step. Mm. And he's done that all the way through. It's very reassuring to know that I've got a mum that's always prayed for me. Whether she knows I've been in times of trouble or not, but she's just always diligently prayed. She's just kept, she's just been an absolutely warrior for us kids in the spirit. And especially for me, since my accident, she's just been incredibly diligent and there's no way I'd be where I am in my recovery without her prayer life. When looking at photos and videos and that of me in hospital, it's a reminder of where I've come from and how thankful I am to have the Lord in my life and, and where he's brought me from and where I could be without his help. So for me now, if I ever see bulls in a paddock or livestock, I've got certainly a lot, lot more respect for them, especially the ones that have been trained for rodeo. They're bovine athletes, they really are. And basically when they get when that shoot gate opens, they've just got a job to do, they don't want to hurt anybody. A lot of respect for them now for what they can do um, and how powerful they are. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's right, is that? Oh, she's done another knot on us. Why is it doing that? It's actually done quite a good one. The one knot you don't want to do on the riverbank, especially when your hands are cold. Could be worse, I mean, unless it's not a cold morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. A lot of the fishing guys I used to ride with, they've all said, oh, you know, heck, you're so lucky, you know. And I guess one way of looking at it, but like luck, in my opinion, luck would have been if I fell off the ball that night and both of his feet were planted either side of my head. That would have been luck. Um, but medically speaking, I should have died that night because I got half the skull cave done, and I didn't. And only reason why is because there were lots of people praying and the Lord reached out and saved my life. Otherwise, there's no way I'd still be here. What a great story and testimony. And um, just before we welcome the kids in, let's just agree for anyone in, in impossible situations right now, God. We just thank you for turnaround in impossible situations. 
in our lives, God. We thank you that you are the author and the perfecter, and we just say yes to your hand. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible, and we thank you for miracles in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just put our hands together and welcome the children into the room. Very shortly, we're going to get into a praise party, and we're just going to worship Jesus. There's plenty of room up the front, guys. Uh, you can sit next to me here as well. We've got some seats over there. It's, it's so good to have you in the room with us, just as they come. And if you don't know uh, Jesus as, uh, you know, um, your Lord, you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, you don't have a relationship with Jesus or God, then, you know, um, it's, it's, I'm like, it's, it's a big deal to say yes to God. Like, I don't want to minimize that at all. It's like, actually, this means that I'm going to start trusting that my life is not up to myself, but actually God's got a plan for me, and He's with me. I don't have to invent my own future, that He's actually got a plan for my future. Now, the, uh, the other thing I want to say is that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. You don't have to be a good person to be a Christian. You don't have to look like a Christian, smell like a Christian, talk like a Christian to be a Christian. All you need is Jesus. All you need is His grace. All you need is a step of faith. And so what is grace? Grace is the unconditional favor of a loving God for your life. He says, hey, I'll take you as is, where is. I'll be like, hey, you know, we heard Daniel's incredible story this morning, and we don't have to wait to sort our lives out before our Father accepts us. He wants to meet with every single one of us in the room today. And so you've heard some incredible testimonies this morning of how he is in a distant God on a throne, you know, in heaven with clouds, with angels playing harps. And he is actually a God who's very present in our lives. And the Bible even says that he's our present help in a time of trouble. Today, friend, I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? He is a prayer away. The Bible says those who call on the name of Jesus would be saved. Isn't that good news? Those who say, I just need you, Jesus. I need you. I want to take a step in my heart and say yes to you. And so this morning, there's an opportunity for you to say yes to him. There's an opportunity right now in this moment in your mind, in your head, and in your heart to say, yes, Jesus. I want to follow you.